from Isaiah chapter 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests on his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Great will be his authority, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. Darkness is something we do not like. One of the strongest fears that people have is the fear of darkness. Darkness can lead to a feeling of despair. Darkness is unsettling and disturbing. We desire to be in the light. Light dispels darkness. Where there is light, darkness cannot exist and darkness cannot overcome light. Light offers direction because we can see our path. Walking in the light tends to help you know where you are and where you're going. Walking in the light gives you direction on things to avoid. Light offers discovery because there are things that are much easier to find when there is light. Have you ever searched for something in the dark and been unable to find it? The nation of Israel had been walking in a season of darkness that caused the people to lose hope. God spoke in the midst of those fears and offered hope that there would be a day when darkness would be defeated and a new light will dawn on the entire world. The time of a God could not have come at a more desperate point in history. Israel suffered immensely, enduring one of the most and difficult periods of persecution in their history. And so Isaiah was called to prophesy to the great coming deliverer who would save the people. The people of Israel had abandoned God and were walking in darkness without hope. But Isaiah spoke of a coming Messiah, a Messiah who would not only bring light, but would be the light of lights. This Messiah would be the light of the world to the people who walked in darkness. This Messiah would offer light to everyone coming into the world. Isaiah's prophecies covered the reign of many kings, but the scope of his grand vision of light stretched into the distant future and foretold the arrival of the Messiah to Israel. The light which Isaiah spoke was to shine eternally bright. It would shine beyond the blessed inhabitants of Galilee, beyond those who would first witness it. Jesus is the awaited Messiah who came to the lost sheep of Israel and beyond, who came to offer the light of hope to the whole world, including you 
and me. Jesus came as the light, the life-giving light of the world, the bright light that shines in the deepest darkness. Jesus came as the true light so that all who would believe would not remain in darkness, but live in the light, the light of hope. Now from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, the birth of Jesus foretold. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy, and he will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her, who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. If you could sit down for a cup of coffee with any character from Scripture, who would it be? One of the people I would most like to do that is the angel Gabriel. Gabriel, good afternoon. Listen, what's it like to be you? You're in the presence of God, and he sends you to these different people, and their first reaction is fear. Because you're constantly reminding people, hey, don't be afraid. No, I bring incredible, extraordinary news. The angel Gabriel is mentioned in both the Old and New Testaments. In Daniel 8, he is seen as explaining a vision to the prophet. He's seen in Scripture, again, as one who stands in the presence of God. It's like he's waiting with the ultimate superior for direction. And God is said to send him to various people. On one hand, he looks like a man, yet we don't have much detail. Still, his appearance tends to scare people. It's, is it because they're simply startled by all of a sudden he's there? Or is there something about his look that puts them off? He tells both Zechariah and Mary in this chapter, don't be afraid when they first encounter him. Yet his messages from God are so important and life-changing that they become the focus rather than simply his appearance. So what's Mary's response to Gabriel? Well, first, she's perplexed. 
all of a sudden, this guy looks like a man, but he looks different. He's a little intimidating. Is telling her that uh, God, you know, he's bringing greetings from God of all people. So she's confused, bewildered. Not only by his appearance, but also by what he's saying. You'll have a child, the Son of God. Now that got her attention. A bit disorienting for a young, maybe 15, 16 year old girl. And she pondered what his greeting might mean. She reflected on what it could mean. Who is this? Where is he from, really? What kind of greeting is this? Mary was a smart girl. She, she doesn't just react. But she thinks about it. She considers his, her response, and she listens as he finishes his message. After he finishes the message, well, she does the natural thing. She, she pushes back a bit. Now, it's interesting. She didn't push back about he'll be great, he'll be king over all, he'll last forever. She pushed back about the part that, hey, I'm a virgin. Yes, I'm engaged, but we haven't been together yet. So this is impossible. And then he goes on to finish his message. This will be a unique miracle, baby. God will work it out. Nothing is impossible. So she moved from perplexed to pondering what he's saying, to a little pushback, questioning naturally. And then finally, she's prepared. She, she decided to say yes. All right, let's, let's do this. She's willing to take the bold approach. <laughs> what an adventure. She trusts what is being presented by the angel as from God. And so she becomes a unique part of God's work in the world. Now, Gabriel's messages look forward to the coming of Jesus. John will be the forerunner. Mary's son will be called the son of the Most High. And this confident, feisty, full-of-faith young girl is willing to pay the price, the price for the perception of other people and a possible stigma that could affect her reputation in the community. The risk to the relationship with her and her fiancé, who is not the father, and the necessity to trust God for guidance all along her new path, her new unexpected path. The bottom line Mary said yes. A reading from the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, the birth of Jesus. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration. It was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Jesus also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there is no place in the guest room. This past week at youth group, we had uh, Christmas parties. And in high school, we played Christmas-themed Jeopardy. We learned some fun facts about the season, like there are uh, roughly seven Lego sets sold every second around the world. Christian, your son Elijah, thought it was much more, <laughs> because Legos. Um, 
And also we learned about the lesser known tradition of holding, uh, of hiding a Christmas pickle in the Christmas tree where the discoverer would win a prize, which I could only assume was the pickle. And we had one Jeopardy question uh, that I remember really rattled the majority of us. And it was in response to the question, how many years after Jesus' birth was the first Christmas celebration? Now maybe there's some trivia gurus in here, immediately you know the answer. A plus, gold star. But my team very incorrectly guessed three years. The correct answer is 336 years. 336 years after the birth of Jesus was the first recorded celebration of Christmas. That's a long time. And in this passage that I read today from Luke, I verified with Christian Collins-Wynn on what the consensus was of biblical scholars, but this passage was written, uh, people thought, roughly in the mid-80s A.D., after Jesus was born. So even this was a long time after Jesus was born. What I mean to highlight in the passing of time is what it can do to meaning. When we consider today our current celebrations of Christmas nearly 1,700 years after the first celebration, it is incredibly reasonable to have warm feelings over the thought of brightly colored lights on evergreens, cute inflatable decorations, which you will see later today at the Christmas festival, nostalgia of being with loved ones, hot cocoa by the fire, playing that Spotify Christmas playlist for the hundredth time. And all these things make sense. All these things contribute to this being the most wonderful time of the year. I do these things. I enjoy these things as well. But what we're reminded of in this passage from Luke, which he wrote 80 years after the fact, is this bare bones, if not uninspiring, description of Jesus' birth. It's a mention of a census, a couple political figures, and an almost ironically simple description of the delivery and location of Jesus' birth. There's no shiny lights, there's no feelings of wonder. It's quite the opposite, really. So as time goes on, and we continue to spectacularize Christmas, and spectacularize Christmas we will do. Just the other day, one of our young adults sent me a video of a church that had harnessed drummer boys being dropped from the church ceiling. (laughs) And she asked if we could do that. (laughs) So maybe. But as we continue to spectacularize Christmas, how do we make sure that our distance in years from the actual event does not so strongly correlate with our distance in understanding the significance of the event? I'm certainly not asking for less Christmas lights or less cups of hot chocolate. Simply want to remind ourselves that the one whose birth meant joy to the world, to everybody, cared not so much about the aesthetic or even the feel, but the actual act itself of love and goodwill towards all. So how can we be a part of that? A reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. 
The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. You is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. Sometimes there is news that just needs to be shouted from the rooftop. When you fall in love, the birth of a child or a grandchild, recovery of someone sick, the liberation of a friend or of a community. Friends, sometimes there is just news that needs to be shouted from the rooftop. But you got to wonder here about God's marketing plan. We literally just heard a few verses before about a census being announced by an emperor. Everybody knew about it. When they heard about it, they obeyed. And what do we have now? Birth of the one who comes to change everything. The one who fulfills the promise of the kingdom. One who will truly be faithful to Yahweh. And who does God go and share it with? Shepherds. And just so you know, in the ancient world, shepherds, they were not highly esteemed people. They were kind of smelly, probably not very well educated, maybe even given to superstition from all those nights they spent living out in the fields. But you see, what we consider lowly, God considers lovely. What we consider broken, God sees as beautiful. And so on this day during Advent 2022, let us hear again the good news announced by Gabriel. That God has indeed entered the world in a new way. A way whose final end is peace. And even though we know only too well that we have not tasted fullness of that shalom, that peace yet, that we still live with fear, anger, and pain, and loneliness. Friends, this is still not the final and true end that God intends for us. It's not the final end that we shall know and experience when that day comes. For the end, goal of all of God's ways is peace, shalom, 
wholeness, blessing. That is the end which God intends. That is the end which God has promised. And that is an end which we can surely trust and even now give to begin to live into. And this, my friends, truly is good news of great joy. This is the word of the Lord. Our fifth lesson comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and we have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all of Jerusalem with him. And calling together all of the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they heard the king, they set out and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Well, a few notes, and then a couple wonders. The first is about Herod the Great. It's believed this is referencing Herod the Great in the passage, who ruled the area under the authority of the emperor from 37 to 34 BCE. Those who came, those who many of us, if I were to ask you how many wise men were there, how many would say this number, one, two, three? That is an extra biblical tradition, you will not find it in the text. We don't know how many wise men, or wise people for that matter, were gathered. We don't know how many came. What we do know is that they were Persian priests, astrologers, and that the costly gifts that they brought were actually probably those that were employed in religious rituals that smelled fragrantly and of wonder. Three wonders myself, then, that I share with you this day. The one is 
a question about as we approach Christmas and as we think about this story of Emmanuel God with us, who are the people who come? These folks who came, they weren't persons who followed Jewish law. They were Persian priests. They came with their own stories, their own traditions, their own backgrounds, and they came because they saw this star and it connected with something within their own story. And I wonder sometimes, what roadblocks do we put up for people who just want to come? All of us, however you come, whatever your story, whatever your background, whatever your traditions, if you come, you come. So let us all come and meet this Jesus anew. The second is, as I've read this story, I mean, I've read this not a million times, but at least 500. I never noticed until this time the line about Mary. Now that might be because for the first time in my life, I have a little human that I'm parenting, right? But it made me think about all of the characters in this story and all of the people we interact with in our daily lives and how sometimes we only see one or two people in the story or we only see things from our own perspective. How does this story invite and remind us to see the story from the multiplicity of perspectives and to get curious? What was going on for Herod? How about the wise men who came? What about Mary? What about the angel? What about Jesus? How can we see the story from others' perspectives? The third thing that it reminded me or made me think of was that home is always by another way. In the story, Harry, Herod, Harry, <laughs> my buddy, he very kindly was like, hey guys, just, you know, I want to go worship Jesus too and then I'll kill him. <laughs> As it turns out, he didn't have the best of intentions. And it wasn't until the dream that we read about in verse 12 that we discover that they discover that this was the case. And it made me think about how sometimes in our lives we're going along and we think, oh, okay, yeah, I'll go that way. And sometimes home is by another way. Jan Richardson, a Christian poet and mystic, wrote a piece called Wise Women Also Came. I'll read a few lines. Wise women also came. The fire burned in their wombs long before they saw the flaming star in the sky. They walked in shadows, trusting the path would open under the light of the moon. Wise women also came, seeking no directions, no permission from any king. Wise women also came, and they went home the way wise women do. Home, a different way. May you find your way home. From John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life, and the life was a light for all people. 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overtake it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and full of truth. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overtake it. A professor was asked in a class by a student one day, what's the meaning of life? The usual laughter followed, but the professor said, I will answer your question. Taking his wallet out of his hip pocket, he fished around in his leather wallet and brought out a very small, round mirror, about the size of a quarter. And then he told this story. When I was a small child during the war, we were very poor and we lived in a remote village. One day on the road, I found a broken piece of a mirror. A, a motorcycle had been wrecked in that spot. I tried to find all the pieces and put them back together, but it was impossible. So I kept only the largest piece. This is it. This is the one. And by scratching on the stone, I made it round. I began to play with it as a toy and became fascinated by the fact that I could reflect light into dark places where the sun would never shine, like deep holes and crevices and dark closets. It became a game for me to get light into the most inaccessible places I could find. I kept a little mirror. And as I went about my growing up, I would take it out in idle moments and continue the challenge of the game. As I became an adult, I grew to understand that this was not just a child's game, but a metaphor. A metaphor for what I might do with my life. I came to understand that I am not the light or the source of light, but light in the form and expression of hope, peace, joy, and love is available, but will only shine in many dark places if I reflect it. In our passage, we heard a description of John the Baptist. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. John the Baptist so wanted to reflect the light of Jesus that he wanted himself out of the way. That's why John said, I'm not the one. I'm not the prophet. John described himself purely in terms of being a mirror to reflect Jesus. I am the voice of one crying in the desert, make straight the way of the Lord. 
Because the word became flesh and lived among us and we have seen his glory, the glory as of God's only son, full of grace and truth. What if we, what if we follow John's example and become people who sought and seek to shine light in those dark places of our world? What if our commitment to God and to one another were the words of that old Sunday school song. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Oh, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine all the time. Let it shine. Imagine what God might do in us and through us. Amen?